Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your host, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Welcome to Inside the Firm. <clears throat> I am your host, Alex Gore. I'm here with Lance Scanner Psycho. I scan, guess we'll get scan it. Scan Man. Scan Man. We'll, we'll learn about that later. Um, but, but before we learn about that, let's learn about RevitRocketChip.com which takes you to the moon via balloon. Wait, nope, a rocket ship Aha. <laughs> of Revit skills uh, and, and basically shows you families, advanced families, how to essentially create a model, um, walks you through our template and all of that that we've honed and perfected over the years. Go to RevitRocketShip.com. Beautiful. Yeah, I am the scan man. Uh, also, accurate data is crucial. Did you know that, Al? Especially in today's business environment, outdated and inaccurate data leads to turnarounds, delays, and rising costs. With supply chain and staffing issues, these costs and delays can multiply. That's why a resource like RCAT.com is so important. RCAT works with manufacturers to keep their data up to date and accurate and offers it to you easily accessible and free. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to search for what you need and download it right there on their website without needing to pay anything or even register. No data mining. I love that so much. So try rcat.com today. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. I also need you to go check out pelloluxury.com forward slash the firm because when you go there, you are going to experience a collection of brands that brings your creative vision to life. The luxury division of Pella is a world-class collection of brands including Duratherm, Riley, and Benelli, all pioneers of industry who provide window and door solutions to discerning architects, the building industry, and beyond. During this new year in 2023, we know how important it is to step back and spend time in gratitude. We appreciate all our clients trusting us with their projects in a record-breaking year. We are excited and ready to take on the new year in 2023. 2023. So the luxury division of Pella doesn't push beyond limits. They set them. So make sure you explore PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm today. PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm today. Back to you, Al. Uh, habits on our book read. Seven habits of highly effective people. We just finished Think Win Win. Mm-hmm. Uh, my takeaway from that chapter was... Uh, if uh, sometimes they gave an example, a story about essentially blaming employees for not doing enough sales in this business that is a sales business. And I think it was something, um, for some reason I got the idea that it was like, uh, what are those computer stores back in the day that no one goes to any day uh, anymore? Best Buy? But, but smaller. God, I can't remember. uh, Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think you know what I mean. Like it's literally like corner computer store sure whatever where you get paper and they called us and they tried to say like hey just staples staples yeah i think it was like a staples Staples. they wanted us to go on like a subscription or something yep and we're like hey have you ever heard of amazon jeff bezos they're like no we haven't yep anyways the owner 
it probably wasn't Staples, was like the employees are essentially not motivated, don't know how to go talk to people. Hey, look at that, Lance. Staples truck just went by. Wow. Dude, this is a simulation. Not only is it a simulation, but that means I need to go buy two more lottery tickets um, because I bought some. What are the I didn't buy them. Somebody gave uh, Todd uh, Huttner, you gave them to me, and I won on the first round. I won on the second round. I won on the third round. I'm headed back to buy 11 now this time. He gave me two originally dollar ones. Look at me. Amazing. Amazing. Gotta do it. Um, think win-win on that, bud. Okay. What The point that I like from that <laughs> chapter, the point that I liked for <laughs> you and I win, win-win, <laughs> was that uh, the author went in and looked at it and basically found that the managers <clears throat> were hogging the register and they were getting promotions and, and a lot of money and no one mm-hmm. else was. So he changed the system so that they're... Uh, financial reward was two thirds on the number, one third of how he, uh, the employees rank the manager and how he was helpful, created a good culture, stuff like that. And obviously, that could be adjusted. The big takeaway I got from that was your systems control basically the output that you can have. You could take uh, Landscan or Psycho, put them in the planning department, and it's not like the planning department is automatically going to get better. Uh, you're probably going to turn into someone that I'm going to hate. Mm-hmm. So that was my takeaway. We're reading Seek to f- seek First to Understand, then to be understood. Next, do you have anything on that? No, that was great, Al. Uh, so yeah, scanning. I just wanted to give somebody, uh, everybody a preview into next week's episode. So basically, I was planning on doing that, uh, going into... Um, we bought a uh, Matterport uh, Pro 3, and... I posted about this in the Entree Architect community, and then a bunch of folks said, it would be great if on the show you could show us how it, how it works, give us a review, all of that. So last week, uh, February 10th, I had um, I went up to North Dakota. We have a job up there, and I scanned uh, a house and then a, sh- uh, a big garage that is detached from it. My first time doing it, Rebecca, um, one of our staff members here, put together sort of the how-to it, it was pretty much flawless and seamless on how to do it. So I'm just going to walk through what it's like for us t- so everybody can see. And hopefully, um, if you're looking at, if you're wondering, like, should I take the leap and stop taking a laser tape out and a regular tape out? And am I ready to finally level up with F9 and inside the firm and, and jump into the 3D scanning the world? I'm going to I'm gonna help you do that. It is it is a excellent process. Um, it is it is vastly more efficient and uh, it'll help you level up because you don't have to go back to the site because it basically takes like 3D photographs of everything and then you get all these points that you then pull into Revit and you model off it. Models are highly accurate. It's the way to go. It's, it's, it's the equivalent of going from hand drafting to Revit. It is that big of a leap, yep. I think. Awesome. Um, second thing I wanted to bring up today for everybody is <clears throat> if you are putting together proposals for big projects... And you're con- and and you have to have pull in consultants, right? So maybe you're the architect, you're going to be the prime, and you have to pull in all the other disciplines: mechanical, electrical, plumbing, engineers, structural, landscape, whatever else. Y- I think you need to be looking at, and especially if there's if like the client is demanding a succinct timeline, a concerted effort to try to meet certain deadlines and stuff. I think the first test for your consultants is, let's say you meet with the client on uh, Monday. After the meeting, you send out emails and phone calls to maybe your number one uh, set of folks in different disciplines. 
and you tell them, hey, I realize this is a short notice, but I'm trying to get a proposal out by Friday, end of day Friday. And if you have folks who can't keep up with even that kind of a request, I think you need to move on to the next one to see if they can. So like, because at the end of the day, what it's going to be is like, whoever is your slowest, the slowest person on your team, that's how fast you can go. Yep. Weakest. Yep. And I'll play devil's advocate because the, um, the pushback comes from, oh, I need to do my due diligence, blah, 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 to give the best bid, quality over speed, you know, all those kinds of excuses. Devil's advocate to that devil's advocate is, well, you should develop systems so that you can create yeah. uh, quotes and proposals speedily. I know our engineers do it. Not only, not only do they have like system where they put in numbers. I think I told you about this. Where they put in the numbers lands automatically fills out the actual contract. Yes. Like done. That's even better than us. That's even better than us. Yeah. Um, so take that for what it's worth. Um, this obviously happened this week, and it, it, it immediately disqualified somebody who we were looking at using for a subconsultant. So yep. Uh, go ahead, Al. Next, moving on. Awesome. LinkedIn. Okay. Here we go. LinkedIn article. It's uh, start. Well, startups have employees. Uh, here we are. Startups that have employees in offices grow three and a half times faster. I read this before you, uh, before we went in today, and I was like, whoa. During the pandemic, companies engaged in one of the largest unintended experiments in how to organize office work remotely, in offices, or hybrid of the two. Uh, Post-pandemic pandemic startups are still struggling to manage the best way to manage return to office issues. This is this is kind of crazy to me that if you're still trying to manage this return to office, I don't think you have a good feedback loop. Don't know how good you are at making executive decisions or getting on a team on board um, or leading in general. Uh, employees' expectations of continuing to work remotely versus the best path to build uh, a growth, build and grow a profitable company. I'm gonna just scroll down to this. This is 2022 revenue growth rate by work configuration and stage. So we have pre-seed stage, um, which is either how much they grew in no office versus some office. So a pre-seed stage, they've grown in revenue 67% in no office. Of all those companies, if you were had at least some office, so like something like what we might do is all oh, you have Wednesday off, you know, like to work from home or something like that. They grew 231%. Wow. Uh, series A, which is the next level, no office, 111. Uh, some office, 122. And if you're talking about, you know, that is a 10%, 11% difference. Mm -hmm. Like on a million dollars, that's $100,000. Yeah. That's on little, $10 that's million, dollars, that's a million dollars. Yeah, that's huge. Series B is even bigger. It's about 12% difference between no office and some office. Um, and as if things get tight and competition heats up and you are at least getting 12% more or, you know, even that's just on revenue, not a lot, um, your efficiencies could be even, even more than that. That that's a huge difference. And what it comes back is your feedback loop, uh, your communication is easier and, 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 and quicker. Um, and just wanted to bring that up. Um, there's a whole bunch more to it. I don't know if you wanted to pick anything else out from it, but just... well, 
uh, I think it proves that this experiment was not something that you can just go all in on, this whole work from home thing. Again, we do a hybrid model. There's something called work from home Wednesdays. So we allow for that. It makes sense. But by all means, I, if you take the whole staff remote, I think you're doing them a disjustice, uh, an, an injustice by uh, not having a, uh, providing the kind of atmosphere where there can be mentoring that is done, that can be cross-collaboration that's done. And so, you know, once again, the you know, I saw this from the architect community just over and over and over again. Oh my gosh, work from home, work from home, work from home. It's the future, future, future. It's not. Just like your guys' idea that Meta was going to be the future. It is not. I was right about that. So please, just listen to me. <laughs> that's it. Problem solved. Problem solved. Okay. That's why you're listening anyway, right? All right, my article today is uh, from the NAHB, one of my favorite. Again, you should go check out National Association of Home Builders. Sign up for their newsletter. It's so good. It's so good. They just pack it with data. Of course, they're biased for home builders. I get it. But at the same time, they are sourcing. Uh, a lot of the stuff they're sourcing is like, okay, if you want a neutral party, well, they, they do source like building permits um, from the government and all that kind of stuff, right? So boosting housing production is the best way to ease affordability crisis. Agreed. The National Association of Home Builders today commend, commended Senate Banking Com uh, Committee Chairman Sherrod Brown, Democrat of Ohio, ranking member Tim Scott of South Carolina, and their fellow committee members for making housing the focus of the panel's first hearing of the new Congress and recognizing that market-based solutions are needed to boost production of affordable housing and ease the nation's of housing affordability crisis. Quote, we applaud the committee for making housing a top national priority and allowing NAHB to share its views on the barriers the residential construction industry faces to ease production of quality affordable housing, end quote, NAHB chief executive economist Robert Dietz said while testifying before Senate lawmakers, quote, building more homes and apartments is the only way to tame inflation, satisfy unmet demand, achieve a measure of price stability, uh, in the for sale and rental markets and ease America's housing affordability crisis. He did not mention that the government needs to step in and create affordable housing. Or raising <laughs> interest rates. Because like the price might be more affordable, yeah. but you're still paying the highest amount because you're having to pay more interest. So like that's that's literally just like the surface level price is staying the same, but the cost over the lifespan is is still up high. Yeah. And which 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 goes into what they call the causes of this underbuilding are multifaceted and complex, but we commonly cite them as the five L's. A lack of labor, lots, lumber, lumber and, and building build. materials, yep. lending for development, as you were just talking about, and the construction and and construction purposes and legality and regulatory barriers. Um so, you know, uh, their bullet points here, the construction sector faces a persistent labor shortage with more than 400,000 unfilled industry jobs, right? We have way too many people going to higher ed. I would love more carpenters, plumbers, electricians, all that kind of stuff. It is difficult. Uh, regulatory costs account for about a quarter of the purchase price of a new single family home. I think they just continue to go up as a percentage basis. And even more for apartment buildings due to delay costs and zoning issues and these regulatory burdens have made it very difficult to build entry-level housing for first-time home buyers so once again it, who's the culprit there not me not the private sector it is the government we need to we need to reduce remove streamline and and lastly due primarily to supply chain disruptors construction material costs are up 36 percent since the start of 2020 ultimately resulting in higher rents and home prices 
Um, so the last thing they say, and I think this is kind of where I would head with, with a good conclusion is, passing legislation to alleviate supply side bottlenecks and ease burdensome federal regulations and promote careers. Right, let's start venerating the young men and women uh, in, to go into skilled trades and not look down on it as like this lesser thing than higher ed. Um, would increase home construction, expand housing inventory, and lower inflation, Deet said. However, if action on these issues is delayed, housing costs, which are roughly 40% of the consumer price index. Oh, my gosh. That's so huge. That is That just blew my mind. Yeah. Will continue to be persistent drivers of inflation and remain a burden on American families. Thank you, NAHB, once again for that. <laughs> Crazy. I mean, I just hope they keep advocating for it. That's why I'm a supporter of those guys. I just think they uh, they're on the right track. They've they understand the complexity, and that's I think the part that the government misses every time when these city councils co- come into play and they go they they, they think the the easy fix is it's going to create a slush fund. We're going to tax developers and uh, even owners for these affordability projects, and they become you know giant debacles. And, and, like, it's not addressing those this very complex problem with the five L's. The five L's. Like, it's, it's got to be a multi-pronged yeah. solution. And all that do- does, uh, I believe, is it creates a funnel of who can, like, survive, which developers can survive yeah. and get past that funnel. So, like, let's just say you had mm-hmm. completely open system, right, and you could have as many houses as you want. Obviously, there are drawbacks to that. And I'm not saying that that's what should happen. There would be some issues there. So you put in some regulations, you put in some constraints, and you start you start making it so that there's this ring that you have to get through. And the problem with then, you know, now you're adding like a tax of, I think on some of it, it's like $11 a square foot or something like that. Yeah. And then once that developer pops through and makes it through that, that great filter, there's nothing on the other side. So they can charge anything they want, which then exasperates the problem. Yes. Get, what Al is explaining is, uh, in, in economics terms, is it's called the barrier to entry. So the barriers to entry are the cost of other obstacles that prevent new competitors from easily entering an industry or area of business. So you're literally creating a, a monopolistic environment yep. that is rife with cronyism. Yep. Not good. Um, in Colorado, we have the problem, too, of, of water and all that. That's um, true. That Water's an issue, for sure. Yep. Yeah. But if we could solve that and then build tunnels everywhere because then and not rely on the, the government to build roads and then build them out in the vast amount of land that we have, yet connect them quickly to the cities. Let's go, Lance. Let's go. go. Let's, let's do it. Go. Speaking of let's go, let's go over to ARE Jeopardy. Bring the crew down, Al. Doing it. <clears throat> First two should be softballs. All right. If an aerial apparatus vehicle is needed, the building must be set back how many feet from the aerial apparatus road? Kind of went over this before, but it was a two-part question before. Is it A, 5 feet, B, 30 feet, C, 15 feet, or D, 0 feet? Key planners. Come in. What do we got? C and C? Which is 15? No. It, uh, wait, 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 wait. Yes, it is 15 feet. <laughs> um, a question two. If an aero apparatus vehicle is needed, the building must not be set back. Must not be set back. 
Wait, wait. Must be set back. No, you guys are wrong. Must be set back. 15. Oh, okay. You're right. Sorry. Must not be set back farther than how many feet from the aero apparatus road. This is ARE with all these must not and farther. Okay. Understand the question? A, 5 feet. B, 30 feet. C, 15 feet. D, 0 feet. BB, 30 feet. Correct. Two to two. Two to two. Number three, what is the primary function of a footing in a building's foundation system? Is it A, to transfer loads from the superstructure to the soil? B, to prevent moisture from entering the building? C, to provide lateral stability to the building? D, to provide the foundation, oh, sorry, to protect the foundation from freezing temperatures? <laughs> a, you got A? All right, that was an easy one. Chat GPT did not write the best ones this morning. What do we got? Three? Oh, well, okay. We're going to do a tiebreaker on this one then, okay? I'm not going to name the number. You guys Ooh. are going to write it as quickly as possible. and uh, Show it to me. And and you're going to be the judge who answers fastest based on whatever you think? Okay. Yep. Number four slash tiebreaker. What is the typical minimum clear height required for habitable spaces in a residential building as, design, as defined by most building codes in the United States? Jason wins. Seven feet. Did you put seven six? <laughs> gotcha. Oh, you're, ah, uh, you're thinking commercial, right? Yeah. All right, Jason, where are we eating? I would Pomp love the Pomp House. Dang it. I can't go today. Dang it. That's a good pick. Oh, yeah? What do you got? I got to go meet a client. You guys should really go to Runza. <laughs> That's it. All Stay right. If you guys like this episode, you know what to do. Leave us a positive comment on... Uh, on YouTube, like, subscribe there. And then if you're on the iTunes, please leave us a five-star review. We'll see you next week.